Hello and welcome to the Honker Anime Collector's Edition, a podcast series where I, Cameron Allison, will examine different aspects of anime collecting. Today I'm joined by Dr. Helen Burgess, who studied at Victoria University of Wellington and West Virginia University. She does work in the digital humanities and studies new materialism, and is currently working on a project pertaining to collecting and how it relates to materialism and thing theory. Helen, how are you? Hello, Cameron. I am wonderful, and it's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. Oh my god. It, it's so sunny out. It's so nice because we're together recording this. So. Yes. Yes. So, Helen, I would like to ask you really quick, uh, what exactly is materialism? All right. So materialism is a a kind of a move in philosophy and uh, science studies. Um, And you can think of it as a reaction to idealism in philosophy. Mm -hmm. So the idea that um, we are in our minds and that our, our minds are what interact with the world. Uh, materialism says we are in our bodies and our bodies interact with the world. And in fact, it's hard to imagine what the world is without our bodies, that we are totally embodied. Um, So you have people like uh, Bruno Latour, who was a a science studies person, Mm -hmm. and he did studies, he has a book called Laboratory Life, uh, where he goes into the lab and watches everybody while they're doing all their experiments, that kind of thing and then follows them through and shows how science is a kind of collection of physical practices. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, taking little Bunsen's out of refrigerators and putting them in spinners and then extracting DNA and all that kind of thing. So science is not just like an idea, but it's a material practice. I see. Yeah. So it's funny... um... When I was doing research on materialism, one thing that I found was that there's this degree of comfort that's associated with it. And of course, this being a podcast about anime collecting, one thing that I noticed throughout and through different interviews that I conducted was that anime collectors feel you know, a sense of security and comfort from interacting with and collecting these materials. So does that, does that sound about yeah. the same? I know, there's, I know there's a bit of difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I think there's a, a connection there, which is um, th- there was a move um, from materialism in what's, into what's called new materialism. Mm-hmm. And um, the difference between the two is that new materialism looks at the way humans can be decentered in the relationship between them and things. So mm-hmm. rather than, you know, you're a human and then everything else is just a thing, mm-hmm. um, those things interact with us and they push back on us. And Bruno Latour calls this a, a quasi-object. So um, when you're working in the lab, the kinds of uh, measuring equipment you have determine what science you can do for example. So they act as a gatekeeper. Um, He has an essay about a door and a door hinge. And a door is what allows you to go through and out into the world, right? So it's not just us and all these things. It's us and the way we interact with things. And so um, I think collecting is really interesting because 
if you start looking at the things you're collecting as things that have agency, that are interacting with you as well as you interacting with them, then you can see how you might get a kind of an emotional connection to those things because you start treating them as more than just an object. Mm -hmm. They have a a kind of uh, uh, emotional depth to them that you might not expect otherwise. That makes a lot of sense because from the interviews that I conducted, there were a lot of different reasons why people collected. Some people collected for just fun, you know, like they had like family collections and then it inspired them to start their own. You know, they would have things like VHS, Betamax, DVDs, and they kind of evolved with the 21st century and, you know, it's 2022. So, Blu-rays kind of became the new thing, but of course, you know, we still have people who collect the VHS, the uh, DVDs, and I've actually, I've met some people who still collect Betamax, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is awesome, but they will do things like that, or maybe they'll start with something like trading cards or, or games, you know, video games, board games, and it's just shifting with their interest, so as people's interest goes into anime or goes into film in general that just becomes what it is that they want to collect there are also people who want to post certain things on social media some people do it as a flex you know like i have this this is how i watch it you know crt vhs or large flat screen tvs of course some people in the anime community they just want to you know share the love they want to make certain things known but I mean there are people who will buy hundreds and hundreds of tapes and they'll never touch them unless they're posting something but then there are other people who buy hundreds and hundreds but they do it for financial security Mm, mm. so they also get that comfort they also interact with these things like you say but they're doing it as a livelihood Mm mm-hmm because you go from, all right, I, I have this, I want to watch this, but also I need to eat, and I'm going to sell these. Mm-hmm. And finally, I mean, they're just people who don't have internet. So, you know, they go on their phones, and they, or they go into town, like this one guy, he doesn't have internet anywhere in his neighborhood. Like, he's actively fighting to try to get internet to where he is because as he's, he, he, he said he lives in the sticks. He's like, you know, the county has not provided internet for us, so the only internet that I get is on my phone, so I just order DVDs or I go to brick-and-mortar shops, mm-hmm. and that's how I get my fix. So these different reasons that people collect, I mean, you know, this is definitely, as you said, them interacting with things for different reasons I think too they're interacting with um, context so um, people who collect you know cards and then Betamax and then VCRs and then Mm -hmm. you know all the way up yeah um, when they do that they're interacting with the time period they were in when they first saw those materials yeah and so it's a kind of a nostalgia you know you can't really unhook 
the object from the time period it was created in and circulated in um, without a kind of a nostalgic overlay mm -hmm. to that. And so for some people, I think the comfort comes out of remembering mm. and kind of remembering, right? Where, where you think about the member as like a physical object, you're reinteracting with a time and an object that represents that time. So, and I find myself, I get more nostalgic as I get older, which is probably inevitable because you've just got more memories and you start to forget. Yeah. And that can be scary. And so um, I'll often imbue that sense of anxiety into an object from my past or from my childhood. And then that brings me comfort. It helps me kind of paper over that anxiety for a moment. Yeah, so the medium becomes you attach a memory to it mm -hmm. and then the medium mediates your memory um, and also your relationship with another person. So presumably they also have a relationship with that same object. It may not be exactly the same sensations that right. they remember. And so the thing, like the tape or the Blu-ray, all those um, feelings are imbued into it and then when you pull it out, it says to you, hey, remember this? Right? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's talking back to you all the time. And it's not the same as the original. It's its own thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. The money thing is really interesting too because um, people who collect for financial security, mm -hmm. the relationship there is between them and capital, right? Or, or them and financial systems and um, survival systems. Right. And so that object becomes, again, a kind of a focal point for their embeddedness in a larger system of money and capital and the need to eat. And we can also attribute that capitalism to materialism. You and I have had conversations about this in the past. Uh, for prior reference, uh, Helen used to be my professor. Uh, good times. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had conversations, you know, in this cl the class and beyond about different modes of collecting and, you know, about materialism. You and I spoke recently, which leads me to the other thing that you mentioned, mm. phenomenology. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so um, how we interact with the world is meaningful. Um, I've just been reading um, a lot of uh, Maurice Merleau-Ponty, who's a, a phenomenologist, mm -hmm. and uh, he's really interesting. He talks about the role of vision in perceiving the world and the ways in which when we look at something, we're not just like a mind looking at a thing, but because we're always in a context with that thing that our thoughts about the thing change and the thing changes us while we're observing it. So he was interested in observation rather than direct interaction with a quasi-object, but it's still a case of um, you can't get outside of the relationship with the thing that you're observing. As soon as you look at it, you change it and it changes you. And that actually works on two levels that works on the level of you observing the person who we've kind of identified as the thing mm. 
and then you identify the, you observe the thing as the person is working toward it and how their relationship changes between I want this and I have it. Mm, mm. And just how their personalities, how their work ethic can change, these different things all coming together to basically make this entirely new person almost. Mm. You know, like Davy is still going to be Davy at the end of the day, but Davy working for a steelbook copy of Perfect Blue is probably going to be a different Davy than the one who has it. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, I've just been watching a new show on Apple TV mm-hmm. called Severance. And it's about a very near future in which people can opt to undergo a brain surgery where they're a different person at home than they are at work and they literally don't remember what happens in those two things. So um, they they just get chopped and it's it's like a a perversion of the whole work-life balance Mm -hmm. idea. So that they're they're literally different people in the same body, depending on where they are, whether they're at work or at home. And it's creepy. And the thing about it, you can equate that to the anime fan mm. working toward even just watching. Mm. I mean, because there's a comfort in watching a show for the first time. There's that excitement. Mm. But then, and actually this is something that I learned from a mental health professional, there is comfort in re-watching programs mm-hmm. and movies. Mm-hmm. If it's something that you really like, there is merit and there is this inherent comfort. Like it's good for you to re-watch things that you really like. Yeah. Because yeah. it releases some sort of chemical in the brain where like that familiarity... And that sensation of, you know, I really like this or I love this, it just kind of puts you in a groove. Like, you know, you know what's going to happen. You can kind of relive those highs and lows while also mm. saying, okay, like, I, you know, if this character dies, I know, to, I know to expect this. Or, you know, this plot twist or this action scene that maybe was too brutal the first time, maybe it's perfect the second time. Or this always makes me laugh, this particular scene, which, you know, if you if you have it, because one thing that I covered in a previous podcast episode is that with streaming, you know, you can rewatch these different shows, but only for a limited time because you never know when streaming services are going to pull mm. certain shows off. Mm. So one example that I found is... Is it wrong to try to pick up girls in the dungeon? Unfortunate title. We'll just call it Don Machi. Mm-hmm. So Don Machi is available on a few different platforms. Uh, the full three seasons are available on Crunchyroll and High Dive. And the movie is also available on High Dive. And I believe the first and second season are available on Hulu. But Netflix had the first season for a long time. And... A few months ago, it, it I looked for it and it was gone. So people who subscribe to Netflix who might have this thing about 
oh, you know, maybe I want to watch Don Machi once every two or three months. They might look on there if that's their only streaming platform and they'll find that it's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so that context has changed right. then for them and it's going to be a whole different experience the next time. I had a question for you, mm-hmm. actually. So um, for context, mm-hmm. um, when uh, uh, we were in our class mm-hmm. together, and the assignment that I gave you was to archive some media. Mm-hmm. And so um, to the audience, Cameron chose this really interesting um, <laughs> uh, method where we'd been talking about space and the ways that um, the, the way you walk through a space um, changes the way you interact with media, right? right? And so Cameron chose to stage all these different spaces so he was kind of creating like a museum of anime objects yes which was really interesting and so the question i have for you cameron is when you were doing that curating like acting as like a a museum director Mm -hmm. did you have a different relation to relationship to those objects than you did as a collector or a viewer but the reason that I chose that, they, it's familiar to me. Mm, mm. And But it's also unfamiliar because you were staging it, right? And so mm-hmm. you were performing, collecting yes. while you were doing that staging. So that seems like a different process and a different frame of mind. It, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. When mm. you have, because I have a lot of pride in my collection, mm. and a lot of the people who I talk to, they have pride in mm. what it is that they mm. collect. You know, it's a big thing of I love this it's mine which it's it kind of goes into like endowment effect where when excuse me when you own something it has more value to you Mm, yeah but just like touching having in your possession that media that just makes it more personal to you like even if you're in again like that brick and mortar shop and you're picking up a Blu-ray or a DVD, you have it in your hands, and you're like, okay, like I've touched this, which actually goes into the study that I found, but it's like, I've touched this, and, you know, it's kind of mine, so I might as well go ahead and make it fully mine. Mm-hmm, mm. Because I already have this relationship with the item. This kind of reminds me of... Uh... <laughs> psychoanalytic um, object object permanence yeah so this this reminds me of uh, psychoanalytic object permanence um, where uh, babies have to learn that when the face of their parent goes away it's going to come back hmm. um, because for, for them it's either there or not there right hmm. and so they have to uh, learn to understand that some, just because something goes away, it doesn't mean it's not existing elsewhere. Right. Right? And so, um, and that causes anxiety. Um, so I kind of wonder whether part of, you know, being in the store and touching that thing, it goes away afterwards. But if you own it, then you get to uh, experience it coming back and back and back again and again, right? And so that kind of gives you a sense of comfort because you know it's going to come back. And the thing about it, like this, in this study that I looked at, was actually very, it was very cool how they did it. They got 144 students to wear these VR headsets, and 
they had basically three groups. One third of the students viewed a virtual hand reach out and touch the shirt that they were viewing. Mm. A second third, they saw this cursor appear over the product, but you know there was no hand, just a cursor. And the rest of the group, they they witnessed the hand grasp a pole on a nearby shelf. Mm. So the students completed a survey after the fact, and it asked them to state how much they would pay for the T-shirt, like up to $30, I believe. And those who saw the hand touching the shirt were willing to pay an average of 33% more than those who didn't. Oh, so interesting. So, so the shirt was, was an object that, that pushed its value onto you because you were closer to it? Is because, that right? Because you because touched touch. it. Because yeah, of touch. Yeah. Like, because that touch is, it, I don't... Creates that connection. It creates the connection. And oh, it creates, creates that, that slight temporary sense of ownership that you just yep. want to make permanent. Yeah. And then the thing that's interesting about the study is people are willing to pay more so that they can have that. So, so that's just, you know, that's the relationship, the touch. The guy who I interviewed who he, the one who didn't have internet out in the sticks, he goes to brick and mortar shops all the time if he doesn't order something online. So he's like, yeah, I went to my you know, local anime store and I bought this, this, and this. And I'm like, how do you pick? these random shows because you know there's no coherence between what he picks he'll have something like cowboy bebop and then he'll have something like girls and panzer and I'm like what where's the where's the seam? like the, the through line yeah where's yeah. the through line where's yeah. the seam and what it is that you're doing and he's like well I'm just picking something up because it looks good or because i've experienced it before and i think it would be cool but you know you as soon as he picks it up, he has to make that decision where he's like, okay, again, I have it, but I don't have it. So do I want to forever have it? Watch it, look at it, mm. which is something that we haven't talked about, just looking. I mm. mean, we talked about observing, but just looking at this item on your shelf, that's a relationship as well mm, yeah because you have the the viewership the ownership the intimacy all together because you know you can literally just get up and you can stare at it for as long as you want you can pick it up you can hold it you can hug it because it is yours and you are in the security of your own house it is comfort on top of comfort wild right yeah <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I've been interested in is um, the way um, crafters collect materials for mm -hmm. crafting. And so I have all these boxes and boxes at home that are full of really cool fibers like silk and yak fur. And um, I just got some, some pineapple fabric, so fabric made out of pineapple fibers and some silk wrapped stainless steel and some paper threads and that kind of thing. And... Um, you often hear in um, crafting groups, oh, I got this great, you know, raw material. Mm -hmm. And then it just goes in a box with all the other raw materials and it's never used <laughs> because 
there's always more to collect, but also there's something about the potential of a thing mm -hmm. that's more compelling than actually using the thing. Oh. You know? So if you had this, like, bundle of silk, it could be anything. And so you have it in, in you know, fabric and fiber and, you know, wool and silk are very tactile and they all have mm -hmm. different feelings to them. Yeah. But they also have that feeling of, what could I do with this? Right? How could I change this, make it different? It feels smooth. It feels fluffy it feels you know how can I stage it to create these different feelings when I make something but then as soon as you make something you're foreclosing all the other possibilities mm -hmm. that you could have made right and so I think collecting is kind of like that too because when you stage something you could have organized it differently right but you're trying to reach that moment where it all falls into place for you but then you're jettisoning all the other options that you could have had. That actually sounds horrifying. Yes. It does. And well, there's a, one of the things that um, crafters call their stuff is a stash, right? Which <laughs> makes you think of like stash houses. Because they, they talk about being addicted, you know, so it's like a drug. And I think the drug is thinking about the potential of a thing. It's kind of like when, because all Blu-rays and DVDs, mm. at least if they're new, which I mean, you know, people buy used stuff all the time, but if it's brand new, there's a seal and there's plastic wrap on yes. it. Yes. So. And you have to choose whether to unwrap it or mm -hmm. leave it pristine. Right. Yeah. But then you have this entirely different dilemma. Yeah. I have the comfort of this new material, my relationship with this is that it's brand new and I bought this and I can look at it, you know, all shiny, or how am I going to rewatch this? Yes. Am I going to rewatch this and open it up? Am I going to subscribe to another streaming service and just say that I have Don Machi in my collection? Yeah. You know, what what to do that is one of the collector's dilemmas yeah and it's sealed up so you literally can't touch it right so again that touch becomes a way in which it changes your uh interactive mm -hmm. sense i mean this is really common with like <laughs> i have star trek characters <laughs> right and i'm not leaving them in the box i want to take them out and play with them there's a, a whole bunch of them right on my shelf here all sorts of oh yeah toys and um it's really hard not to unwrap them. And I, I sometimes wonder whether we're playing out this kind of marshmallow child um, thing where we have to choose whether we're going to put off pleasure for later mm -hmm. or take on the pleasure now. And um, again, it, it changes the relationship you have with the thing because do you get more pleasure out of seeing it as a pristine whole than you would if you took it open and played it. Right. And you have to balance those two and decide where you are. We've, we've gone through a lot and we've, we've answered a few questions. I, I know we, you know, we have the script of, you know, defining materialism, how collecting mater materialism go hand in hand, who collecting is for. Mm. And kind of going back to new materialism. Mm. One of the things that you 
going through in your research is that new materialism also studies gender. Mm-hmm. Yes. Could yeah. you go into that a little bit? Yeah, so there's, there's a, um, a strain of new materialism mm-hmm. that is feminist new, new materialism or intersectional mm-hmm. new materialism that looks at um, the historical relationship of uh, women, people of color, um, different classes to uh, things. Mm-hmm. So historically you have a binary where man is mind and woman is body. So then the woman is the thing that the man can deploy, right? And so new materialism, uh, from a feminist perspective, looks at the way things are embedded in the world and that there is no such thing as a mind um, without things. And so that changes um, social relations. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think from a collecting standpoint, this is really interesting when you think about what's valued and what's not. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I went to a talk a couple of years ago by a woman from Austin, and I can't remember her name, unfortunately. And she has an archive of what she calls pink games. And pink games are all the games that don't get archived by serious, in quote marks, um, gaming uh, collections and archives. And so pink games are things like um, Barbie games. Really? For girls, right? And um, so uh, the example she gave was there was an early computer game for Windows where you played with an online version of Barbie and you could change your clothes and all that kind of thing. So it's an extension of paper dolls. Um, It came with a, a type of sticky paper that you could put in your printer and then you could design nail like nail patterns mm-hmm. and then print them out and then put them on your fingers. Aww. And so these kinds of games for girls, little girls, mm-hmm. were just not valid. And so nobody was collecting them. That game sounds sick though. I know, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> so interactive and strange. And um, so she has an archive where she collects pink games for girls and says, look, these are just as interesting and weird as games that have been pitched at the every person, which means dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should be collecting these as well. So, yeah. So, with that, is collecting gendered? I'm not sure the mm, the active. Oh gosh! All right. So. There's there's a, a very short piece by Ursula Le Guin, who's a science fiction writer, called The Carrier Bag Theory of Fiction. Mm-hmm. And she talks about um, the difference between men and women as being the men wander around with their sticks and poke things, mm-hmm. um, and women collect things and put them in their bags. And she draws a parallel with fiction, and she says, you know, when you're a writer... You collect ideas and things and turns of phrase and you put them in a little bag in your head and then you pull them out and create new things with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so she, she argues that, that what we need to do is think of fiction as less an intervention into the world with a, you know, a big stick and more like a, a collection. And there's a kind of a gendered element to that. She's looking back at kind of prehistorical Mm-hmm. social patterns as far as we're aware is collecting gendered I think the kinds of things we collect is often gendered mm-hmm. 
is the act of collecting itself gendered? I mean, you could argue that ownership has historically been um, a privilege of white men. Mm. Um, and being owned has been, you know, not white men, that you are a thing, and so you are the thing that's collected mm -hmm. rather than being the collector. So I can see how collection kind of builds into those power structures. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you think about collecting as an activity in the world where you're interacting with objects, um, you might have different relationships with those objects according to gendering, like crafting is usually considered like a women's work. Right. You know, but um, that impulse to be in the world, to find comfort from um, the objects around you, to feel nostalgia, mm -hmm. to feel complete, I think that is more of a universal Right. Even though I can't really speak for all. Of course, of course. You know, because ownership itself is a cultural phenomenon. Because one thing, the thing that really spurred that question on, especially after we had our conversation about mm. new materialism before, is I got to show you some of my anime collection. Mm, mm. And going back to the Perfect Blue Steel book, the cover is, you know, the Japanese original poster except you know with the English word perfect blue and it's it's a it's a really it's a metal mm -hmm. uh, I mean metal like cool not I mean it's a steel book but like cool metal cover but then the back is of the protagonist and her girl group Cham that she's in at the beginning of the movie and the first thing you said when you saw this who is this for <laughs> And I thought about it, I was like, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean... Well, that goes back to the eye thing. Like, mm -hmm. this was made to be seen. Who was it made to be seen by? Right. Right? And we know there are uh, manga for girls. Yeah, shoujo. Um, yeah, and so um, that is a different viewpoint. Like, what this imaginary girl wants to see is presumed to be different to what an imaginary boy wants to see. Right. And so those artifacts become gendered by choosing what they're going to show and from whose perspective they're going to show it. Mm -hmm. Like, who is the desiring object behind the eye? Which is a very mind-body thing, right? Because then the seeing is the mind and the thing is the body and the thing happens to be, you know, a girl's body. Right. Or a man's body or, or whatever. It, it seems like everything is for everyone. But, but it's not. But it's not. Yeah, yeah. Because... I mean, if you look at some of the things that are in, especially collector's editions, there are, especially like with Sentai Filmworks, Sentai Filmworks, they are incredible when it comes to limited edition box sets. And they will do things like, there's this one show, Domestic Girlfriend, where they have these very explicit prints of uh, nude or semi-nude women from the show. And they'll straight up say, especially with their streaming partner, High Dive, we're all about spicy media. Mm -hmm, mm. And I'm like, well, that is that is one way to put it. Mm, mm. So it's just, it's interesting to have that in the back of your mind when you're collecting. Because in 2022, especially, like we said, there, everything is for everyone. But 
everything isn't for everyone, but, you know, there are people who, there are YouTubers who do things, you know, like review hentai for mm-hmm. a living, mm-hmm. and some of them are female. Mm-hmm. So it's not an uncommon thing because, you know, with the, in the age of social media, so many different people come out of the woodworks, like, oh, I'm a girl and I'm also into hentai or I'm into the seinen genre or men who are like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I love shoujo manga and anime like Cardcaptor Sakura. But yeah, the collector is the every person, basically. Yeah, I think where it becomes problematic is, is you know, the incredibly toxic narrative of, who's a real fan mm. and who's not, and that is often gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, so girls who are tagged as, like, gamer girls. Oh, right? yeah. And, and so uh, the, the male community will say, well, she's not a real fan, you know, or she's just doing this for attention or that kind of thing. So there's, there's a lot of this really um, juvenile and toxic gatekeeping mm-hmm. over who can be a fan and who can't be a fan. Um, it's often gendered. But no, that is definitely a real problem that I feel like it's becoming more addressed, again, in the age of social media, mm. because there are more people who are willing to call others out on that, because yeah. especially in the age of a global pandemic, people deserve to enjoy what they want. Yeah. You know, no matter who they are. Yeah. And that goes for gaming, films, anime, or... Or just being in the world. Exactly. Yeah. And as for the case of this podcast, collecting. Yeah. And with that... What a beautiful wrap-up. Well mm-hmm. done. Thank you. So I would like to thank you so much, Helen, for coming on and talking with me. Thank you, Cameron. Again, Helen Burgess fantastic professor look for her work on collecting and new materialism because it's coming sometime i have no idea that's totally fine academic work will fit it will stretch out to fit whatever box you put it in Mm -hmm. so yep i have been cameron allison this has been the home for anime collector's edition and thank you for listening